Welcome to GM Street. I'm Tate Frazier. Mike Lombardi is on the road. Lombardi, how are you? I'm good, Tate. Happy grandfather. Wife and I had a little baby boy. My son had a boy, so I enter a new age. It's pretty good. Yeah. Life is good. You're a very wise and, man. You know, the, yeah, and the, and the best part about this is we're one week away from the NBA draft, which is right up your alley. It's right up my alley. We actually, today we're going to hit some big stuff. Going to talk about the AFC West a little bit, talk about the Broncos, maybe get into some big picture storylines with OBJ and his future. But first, we have to say that the NBA is officially over. I was at the game in Oakland with Bill Simmons. We watched the Warriors get their title. Do you feel a little jaded? Do you feel like you missed out on some basketball this season, or was it just amazing to watch the history happen? I think they were great. I think it was fun to watch the basketball. Basketball's much harder to watch on the East because the games start later so here. You late. know, it's like you got to yeah. you got to fight to stay awake. And you know, and as your grandfather, like I am, I mean, it's hard. But I did. I kept my eyes awake. I, I just felt like you know, it, 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 everybody talks about the West being so great and the East not being good. Let's face it. There's one great team, and then everybody else is fighting. The whole LeBron James thing to me, Tate, is ridiculous. I mean, that guy is the. Every time I watch him play, he awes me, and I don't know why people are so critical of him. Yeah, there's no need to be critical. I mean, he's a he's a force of nature, a freak of nature, and uh, seeing him in, seeing him in person, it looks like Adrian Peterson playing football, you know, playing basketball right. or something. Like he's so massive and huge. Um, I you know he probably couldn't take a hit across the middle, LeBron James, but he could be quite the force in the football field. Um, speaking of football, you know what he reminds me of though. Let me let me interject here. He yeah. reminds me when you watch Jim Brown. You're too young for Jim Brown, but when Jim Brown played for the Cleveland Browns, he was huge. He was yeah. a big man, the fastest guy on the field. He was as big as some of the offensive linemen that played in the NFL at the time. And he would just run over people. That's what LeBron looks like. He looks like, even though he's not, there's guys taller than him, but to me, his whole ability and his power and his strength is remarkable. I mean, like, the shot he makes when, when Durant should have picked up his third foul, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's just, nobody does. How, who does that, get hit in the head and still, make, and still dunk it? Yeah. No, it's, I'm, I'm telling you, there's no one that can will his way to a basket easier than LeBron James. And, you know, that's not that's not skill. That's just like this guy is you're not going to find someone that's 280 pounds, six, eight, has that vision, has the basketball ability to back everything up that he's doing out there. It's um, it's something else to see in person. It was great. It was great to witness. Um, and I don't know. I think we're going to have a few more of those. I feel like Cleveland's going to try to run it back next year. And LeBron James is in the gym already. Draymond Green's back in the gym. And I don't know. I think we got a little Celtics-Lakers, but with two teams that are you know not as prominent and uh, not as polarizing. So it should be fun you for fans. You want my favorite moment? You want my favorite moment of this whole series? What's that? When Jeff Van Gundy saw Rihanna. That was my favorite moment. Because <laughs> well, it was a great, it was that huge dunk by LeBron, so everyone expects Van Gundy to be going crazy about that. But instead of him reacting to LeBron's dunk, he reacted to Rihanna's reaction to LeBron's dunk, yeah. which was a great yeah, inception okay. moment of uh, commentary. It was so good. It was so perfect. Van Gundy's one of the best. It's uh, He's a national treasure calling those games. And especially, I always think when I see Van Gundy, I just think about him. Grabbing onto the legs when he was a Knicks assistant coach, you know, trying to <laughs> yeah. trying to stop a fight. So um, it's always great to have him calling games. Let's talk about a guy that's calling the shots in Denver. This is uh, Lombardi. You're writing a piece on the Denver Broncos and where they're at as a franchise right now. We obviously know the uh, the whole run that they had with the Peyton, er- Peyton Manning era there, um, starting back when they lost the Super Bowl to the Seahawks when they got blown out. And coming full circle to Peyton, you know, getting himself back together and winning a Super Bowl against the Panthers in Super Bowl 50. 
when you look at the Denver Broncos just from a broad stroke of what they're doing in the AFC West, I mean, they're the they're the top of the class or the toast of the class. Obviously, last year didn't go as well. That was sort of a you know probably a Super Bowl hangover. It happens happened to the Panthers as well. When you look at John Elway and his situation there, what's what's really like the first thing that stands out to you and what they're doing and building toward the future? Well, I think it's life after Peyton, and we all know that life after Peyton for most franchises, unless you have Andrew Luck at the door, is going to be difficult. And, yeah. I, and this is what I see with Denver. I mean, look, they have two young quarterbacks, and Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch, that are unproven mm-hmm. whether they can be stars. They've got a world-class defense, Tate. But the reality here is, for John Elway, is when he and I started my column this way. When he entered that job in 2011 and ran Tim Tebow out, mm-hmm. he got Peyton Manning. It's fortunate. Now he doesn't have a quarterback, and he has a good defense. And I'm not sure they are the talk of the town in in the AFC West. I think it's going to be a real challenge for him. Let's take a step back before the Peyton Manning. So obviously, we we all remember the the Tim Tebow pass to Demarius Thomas to win that playoff game against the Steelers in 2011. The Tebow era ends. You know, Elway comes in. It, you know, it's this whole new regime. Peyton Manning basically falls in his lap, and and then Manning gets to have his Elway esque into his career. In the same way, where he's competing for championships and sort of, you know, cementing his legacy when he's walking out the door, um, Manning leaves, and Wade Phillips. There's just so many guys that left. You know, Kubiak's out, Wade Phillips out. Uh, you know, John Fox. Obviously, when they lost the Seahawks, he he gets out. There's so many changes and incremental uh, shifts that Elway made over that period. So he's already shown the ability to adapt. Is there is there a big move that he needs to make now, where you know he takes these young guys? I mean, is he still trying to look for that veteran quarterback like Peyton Manning to come in there? Whether it's a, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a veteran. You know, a lot of people thought Tony Romo could be a fit in Denver. Or are they right. really? Do you really think Simeon or Lynch, one of those guys, is someone that they can develop there to become? You know, because they have the defense. They just need an offense that's, you know, capable right. to keep them in games. Well, I, I think this. I, I think Elway's learning that you can't control the game from the GM's chair, and yeah. I think he's tried. He's on his third head coach, and they've won a lot of games. You know, now before. Manning showed up. They were 20th in the league in wins. So they weren't really a great team before Manning showed up. That has no reflection on John Elway whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But since Manning, they were in the top three between them and New England. And now they're back without Manning. And I think Elway, you know, going through coaches, I mean, people talked about his best friend Kubiak. One of the reasons Kubiak retired was, you know, John wanted changes on his coaching staff, and, and Kubiak really didn't want to be a part of it. I think what you see in Denver a little bit with John is John wants to be the focal point of the organization. I think, he, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of people that thought that Wade Phillips got too much credit for the defense, and I think everybody thinks that John needs to be the star. And what I learned from being in the NFL, and I think this is so true, is the head coach has got to be the star. And that's what I try to write about. Vance Joseph is his head coach. Now, he picked a guy who basically was, as a de- first-time defensive coordinator, didn't have a very successful season. And his number one need is to fix his offense. So it, to me, he's saying to everybody in the league, you guys think I should zig, I'm going to zag. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's going to work. It works when you have Peyton Manning. It don't work when you don't have him. And Vance Joseph is just... Um... And you know, it, I think if you ask a lot of people on the street right now, just the casual fan who's the coach of the Denver Broncos, they may still answer Gary Kubiak. You know, like the the Vance Joseph hire was not, you know, wasn't a splashy hire in any sense of the word. It sort of just happened. And when you think of the Broncos, you do, you know, just think of Elway. I think you made a great point in in, in your piece where 
you were talking about the Bill Polian model where you have a few elite guys that you pay out and the rest you you know you fill the voids with draft picks and then at at the end it sort of crumbles down because that that is not a necessarily a sustainable model. When you look at the Broncos now, I mean, are, are they able to find those pieces, or do, or do you see the decline happening right in front of your eyes heading into well, the when season? They, when they when they were bad, you know, they took an approach in free agency that they were going to go out and they were going to try to find some guys, and they were going to try to to fill a bunch of needs through free agency and try to get these mid level guys. I mean, this is yeah. where they get this is where they get Terrence Knighton, who played his best football in Denver. I mm-hmm. mean, they signed him on a cheap deal, but they signed him as a backup type of player. And I think when you look at that. And you see how they did it. I mean, you know, in 13, they signed Welker. They signed Louis Vasquez. They signed Dominic rogers Camardi, Knighton. They signed uh, Ryan Lilja. They signed a bunch of guys. Mm-hmm. And then even when Manning came in, they signed Manning and Tracy Porter. But as they as they started to have to pay more, they developed this Bill Polian model, which is very difficult. And as I pointed out in my piece, it's hard for rookies to make an impact right away. They had really one rookie last year who played 25% of the plays, and that was Devontae Booker, who, Mm -hmm. because of injury, had a play. So it's tough when you're counting on your rookies to make an immediate impact on depth. And so what I think you see with Denver is the model shifted a little bit towards that Polian model and whether they have enough depth to withstand. Because one thing we do know, their offense last year, Tate, was horrendous. They Terrible. couldn't move the ball effectively. Yep. And so they really they really need to be able to stay healthy on offense and really stay healthy on defense because they don't have the depth that they once had. Yeah, every single other team in the AFC West last season. I mean, for from just to look at it, you know, this is the bare bones of it. Ability to score touchdowns, you know, Kansas City's like 42 touchdowns, Oakland's 47, Chargers 48, and the Broncos are at 35. So, just simply looking at the math, they have to score more touchdowns and be able to be a, a threat on offense. It's funny when you mentioned the, the signing all those guys in free agency with the Manning, you know, Manning and Tracy Porter signed with each other. I just think that's so ironic that the guy that Peyton Manning throws a Super Bowl away uh, is the guy that they signed in free agency. That was a big splash. Also, looking at this team, you know, there's been a lot of reports like Decker and Barnage and all these guys that are big name guys on the free agency market. And and Vance Joseph is every single time he's asked about it, he's like, yeah, we don't we don't have any interest. Right now, we're not trying to add anyone right now. So that that further backs up the whole point of they're trying to go young and they're trying to use their draft picks. They're not trying to make splashes in free agency with this team, right? And and and, and you know, so if it were, but what what I know this from experience in the league is the reality is when you, Manning is a great deodorant for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady's a great deodorant for a lot of things. And when you don't have those quarterbacks and you don't have a guy that can cover up for a lot of your sins, those players have to play better, and they're just not ready to do it. You know, can the can Bowles play left tackle as a rookie right away, or is Donald Stevenson going to have to play left tackle? He didn't do it very well last year. He didn't play right tackle very well. Didn't play. You know, it wasn't really a, a bona fide starter for them, even though they signed him to a contract. So. To me, I think Denver's the fourth team in a, in a really good division. I think the Chargers had a better offseason than Denver did. Mm-hmm. And it, it all comes down to one thing, the quarterback. And Elway's going to have to figure out a way to fix the quarterback without Peyton Manning coming down. Because remember this, Tate, and I wrote this in the column, John Elway was lucky to get Peyton Manning to say yes. Yep. But he was even luckier to get Brock Osweiler to say no. Mm. And I think that's really... That now, because he was offering Osweiler that huge deal, Osweiler said no. He's got to take advantage of it, and if he hits with Lynch, great. I don't think he's going to hit with Lynch, though. 
And even the defense, I mean, we're obviously talking about the offensive woes. The defense itself, I mean, there were some stories coming out of uh, the Denver Post that, you know, first of all, Brandon Marshall was, you know, a big part of that defense, you know, as a sore Achilles. They're trying to, they basically said that the defense is in reset mode. They're trying to find guys to plug in and figure out what, what, the, what the future is for them. Obviously, they have the talent with Von Miller. And that's, you know, that says enough when you have a guy like that that can, that can pass rush for you. But, the loss of Wade Phillips and that transition since that Super Bowl, I mean, it's it just seems like a lot of things are kind of up in the air. And even on defense, they don't even quite have the answers yet, which is not a good place to right. be in if you're the Denver Broncos. Right. Well, because the defense, look, what do they have? They have great strength. I mean, Von Miller's a bitch to block when he's rushing the passer all the yep. time. Shane Ray's a bitch to block when he's rushing the passer all the time. And, and and when you have to, and your offense doesn't score touchdowns like you pointed out, that all of a sudden the strength of what that defense does, which is play man-to-man on the back end and cover and rush the passer, is no longer there. Teams ran the football effectively on Denver last year. You know, they didn't have Malik Jackson inside, so they drafted guys to come in there. They, you know, they drafted Demarcus Walker to help plug the middle to give them a little bit more size in there. They signed Pico from the Cincinnati Bengals. They need more size inside. But the reality here is, if if the offense can't extend the lead and play from in front, which Peyton Manning always did, then the highlight of the Broncos' defense, which is the rushers, can't really come off. And I think that the thing about Denver is I don't want to hear anybody say, well, they had a great September. The key for Denver is going to be, can they endure November and December? Do they have enough depth? And do they have enough quality players to fill in? And can they challenge the Raiders? And can they challenge the Chiefs? And can they challenge the Chargers? I just don't see it. When you have an AFC West that's so spread out and there's so much talent across the board, I mean, let's start with the Raiders. I mean, Derek Carr is already talking about uh, Amari Cooper this offseason. He said he sees the dog that's coming out in Amari Cooper there with the Raiders. I mean, that's a scary thing if you're a Denver Broncos fan or if you're John Elway because the Raiders look like a team that's, you know, when Derek Carr is healthy, they're a team that can score and they look very, very scary. Yeah, and, and what we always used to do with the Raiders, and this is a big Al Davis thing, was you always tried to grade your players based on the division. So, for yep. example, let's take the quarterbacks. The Denver has the fourth-best quarterback in the AFC West. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't win the West with the fourth-best quarterback. When they had Manning, they had the best quarterback. They won the West. And typically, when you don't have the best, and that's where I think they get beat, and the Raiders have clearly the best quarterback. You can argue whether Phillip Rivers can meet up to Derek Carr, but whether you go 1A and 1B, both of them are good players. I think Carr, obviously, based on last year, was better than Rivers. So they don't have the best quarterback, and the Raiders do. Now, the Raiders have their issues on defense, but the Raiders won last year with a bad defense. Kansas City won with a defense. Now, Kansas City's defense was only, only, only seven in points allowed, but Kansas City's defense turned the ball over. They could rush the passer. And, you know, can Denver do that? Can Denver create that? And I think what you saw last year with Denver's defense was they played too many plays. Their offense was one of the worst third-down teams in the league, which then forced the Denver defense to play too many plays. And I think this goes back to what you saw in the playoffs in the NBA. You know, the Cavs could play the Warriors for a certain point, but when the game, as Kerr said, when the game got into the third and fourth quarter, Cleveland got tired and Golden State was ready. Not because Golden State was in better shape than Cleveland, just they had more depth. And I think that's really what you're talking about in the West. The West is going to come down to who has the best depth and who has the best quarterback. I think that's Kansas City or Oakland. When you look at Oakland, they're trying to add more pieces to make that offense even more explosive. Corderell Patterson, a guy that people remember from Minnesota. We remember him back even when he was at Tennessee before. He's just a playmaking type of guy. I mean, in the same vein as Tyree Kill for Kansas City, they're trying to match that playmaking ability. 
and they're trying to bring Patterson in to return kicks. And you know, you're hearing good things at a camp where they're saying this is a guy they probably can rely on with Oakland. If that offense gets even more explosive, so if we get Amari Cooper, that you know, you start seeing the dog coming out of him, you get Cordero Patterson. I mean, how explosive and scary is that Raiders team? And I mean, are they really the true contenders out of the AFC West and maybe just in the AFC in general? Well, they're the they're the ABA team of the West. They're going to outscore you. Now, look, Patterson is a player that has great talent. Nobody will dispute his talent. And Minnesota drafted him in the first round. Yep. They love this talent. The problem was learning. The problem was his ability to take practice execution and make it game reality. That's a key component. That's one of the preaching uh, elements of the Bill Belichick system. We're going to take practice execution and make it game reality. Mm -hmm. This is where Patterson fell apart. He's not really one of the the smarter players in terms of volume. You know, that doesn't mean he's dumb, it's just a lot of volume. Things happen rapidly on the field. That's why when North Turner was his offensive coordinator, they had to run plays for him because when he got too many plays involved, he couldn't really play as fast as he could. He's what I call a card player. A card player is a guy in practice when you hold the card up and the card tells him where to go, he can play as fast as ever. But when you don't have the card there and he has to react, he doesn't play as fast. That is what happens with Patterson. And I love all the talk about him being able to execute their offense. And I'm sure people in Minnesota are laughing, saying, wait a minute, he couldn't learn our offense. How are they going to get him to learn their offense? And we had him for four years. I think that remains to be seen. But don't don't dismiss the talent. And I respect the talent. I'm just not sure he's just a guy you put in to run a play. It's good for Oakland to have speed. That's something that they've always relied on, obviously. Yeah. And you know that. Uh, Dating uh, backwards, you know, he with, yeah, with Al Davis, obviously. Yeah, well, I mean, look, Al's the Al's the king of the hundred meter championships <laughs> uh, all through the country. I'll tell you a great story. Uh, he had he drafted Teddy Watts in the first round, and he mm-hmm. came over to Teddy Watts and he said, "Teddy, oh, I finally got you the Florida State Sprint Champion. I love you, Teddy." <laughs> and Teddy Watts said to him, "Teddy played at Texas Tech." Teddy says to him, "Mr. Davis, thank God that white boy slipped out of the blocks." <laughs> and Mr. Davis said, "What?" He said, "What?" He said, thank God that white boy slipped out of the blocks. He said, who's that? He said, oh, Chris Collinsworth. He pulled a hamstring coming out of the blocks. Collinsworth was the fastest guy in Florida that year, not Ted Watts. Al was devastated. That was probably the worst thing that he had ever heard. He probably thought about cutting him or making a trade that day as soon as he heard someone else was supposed to no, win. No, I'll tell you That's the amazing. worst thing he ever heard was when he found out that Jesse Hester, who he drafted in the same draft as a bunch of other receivers, he drafted it from Florida State. He found out that when they measured his 40 time, the 40-yard dash was only 39 and a half yards. It wasn't really 40. <laughs> <laughs> the guy nice. who brought the scout who brought the tape to, to measure Hester's 40, to measure it out, to make sure it's right. Uh, his tape only went to 39 and a half yards, and they screwed it up. And yes, he was fast, but he wasn't quite as Al Davis fast as they like. Oh, man. That is that is an amazing story. I, I will say that uh, Cordero Patterson, being in Minnesota, playing in that cold weather, I don't know what it is. I mean, I've seen LaShawn McCoy in cold weather, you know, look fast and shifty, but it is a, it's a whole different... I mean, I think being out in Oakland... He, uh, I don't know. He, it will look like college. He'll, he'll look like he has that same speed because obviously thinking through things slows you down. But if he's able to be out in the warm sunshine and running around, I don't know. I, I have faith yeah. in Patterson after what I saw in college. He was one of those guys that stuck out to me. Always. Hey, look, he's great. Uh, we interviewed him. When I, we interviewed him, and, and, and it's it, everything's great about the talent. It's just can he take it? Can he take it to the field? And and that's why he hasn't been other than a returner. That's why because you talk about. LeBron James, big and fast. This is what Patterson is. This man's big and fast. Mm-hmm. And he's dangerous with the ball in his hands, and he can do some things that are hard to find. 
Yep, yep. Um, speaking of another team in the AFC West, I mean, obviously the Chiefs and the Raiders, both 12 wins last season, uh, which I mentioned before, but the other team there, Phillip Rivers, there's like a little bit of buzz about the Chargers. They're obviously making the move to Los Angeles. Phillip Rivers has come out in the San Diego, San Diego Tribune and basically you know, said relocation won't be a hassle for this team. We're going to get up to LA and we're just going to you know, keep things rolling. But you know, there were reports out of minicamp with the Chargers that there was a, a, a quote-unquote sluggish start to to minicamp for those guys. I mean, a lot of people are buying into Keenan Allen coming back, Philip Rivers continuing to be you know the great quarterback that he is, and maybe a little bit of under the radar buzz for the Chargers. Do you see that? Do you see any sort of chance where the Chargers shock a lot of people and they make a little run here in Los Angeles? I, I think they're good. I like the Chargers a lot. Melvin Ingram gets his contract yep, done. I think he's deal. really good. Joey Bosa is going to be even better next season. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like the Chargers defensively. I, I think offensively, their line is much better this year. Now, Russell Okun did not play well in Denver last year. Can he play left tackle better than he did in Denver? What remains to be seen. You know, Joey Barksdale, their right tackle, can he play well enough? I don't know. Rivers is a stud. I, I love Rivers. Can Keenan Allen come back? I mean, look, the guy's had a lot of injuries. And what always worries you about guys that have had injuries that weren't elite speed players mm-hmm. is how much speed they lose, and is that what causes them? I mean, Keenan Allen went where he went in the draft because, you know, he couldn't run. His 40 time, you know, he goes in the third round. He was, before the 40 came out, he was viewed as a, as a clear starter. Didn't run a great 40 time. Now he's coming off all these injuries. Can he get it back? Can he separate a man coverage? I think that remains to be seen. But they have receiver there, and I think that they have guys like Travis Benjamin. They draft Mike Williams in the first round. I like the Chargers. I'm, I'm a big Charger guy. I think the Raiders are the best team. I think the Chargers could beat the Chiefs out for second best. Maybe they could win it. I don't know. They're going to have an advantage in the stubble. There's only going to be 35. They'll make some noise. At least they'll get some crowd noise down there. Yeah, and you know, Keenan Allen, uh, a Greensboro, North Carolina native. I've I've seen Keenan quite a bit, um, even back dating back to high school. He just got it. Just proposed to his girlfriend. You know, he's getting his life together off the field. He says he's running at full speed now. So. I don't know. I'm I'm buying stock in in Keenan Allen and and the Chargers making some noise in the AFC West. I, I I always think I think the Chiefs are the team that make take take a step back. Bosa maybe becomes like a force as a pass rusher. Yeah. I think my favorite thing about the AFC West is looking at Khalil Mack, Von Miller, Joey Bosa, and seeing between those three guys who really and even you know Justin Houston, you know that the Chiefs, the, just those pass rushers in general and how how much they can impact and uh, be a force and whoever becomes like. You know the top guy out of those guys. You know can maybe dictate what team really takes a step up to the next level and contend for well, a title. Well, the, in the top AFC. guy will be the team. The top guy will be the guy's offense can let, let them play from the lead because all those guys when they when they have the lead and they can just rush, they're they're going to be destructive and you're going to have to chubble them and chip them and and chip them and do all those things. So I'm with you. I I, I think that. You know, it's a great division of rushers. Ingram's even a great rusher as well. Yep. But the team, the guys, the team of the offense that can get the lead, that can play complementary football in that division, and that's where the Chiefs excel, is they're able to do that. Same thing with the, with the Raiders did last year. You know, I just think Derek Carr is going to have a better season, another year, and he's got more weapons. I think, you know, defensively, they're not great, but they're good enough. Yep. Let's switch gears here. Uh, the AFC West will be a fun division to watch. It has been for quite a few years, obviously, since about the time that John Elwell came back in 2011 because you know the Broncos were in contention every season, but now they have a bunch of teams in contention. One team that's trying to get back into contention and, uh, and make a big play, and 
the guy that they have to pay is Odell Beckham Jr., who has decided not to sit out of minicamp. He's going to come in and report. We saw last year Joey Bosa sat out for like 31 days, but pretty much the idea of sitting out at this point, people don't want to pay the fines and if you're OBJ, you know, uh, based on what Mara said uh, and the whole ownership of the Giants, they want to pay him and get him. They've even said they want him to be, quote-unquote, a Giant for life. And there aren't that many guys that have been Giants for life. I mean, Lawrence Taylor is one of the last guys, and in 1993, free agency didn't exist yet. So, you know, um, when you look at OBJ and this whole situation, do you believe the contract situation will get settled and it won't be an issue? or And do you expect OBJ to have a, a big run this year? Um all signs point to yes. When the owner says they want to make you, that's the, that's like giving that's giving away something in negotiations. I mean, basically, when the owner is willing to do that and make that statement, you're just he's given he's given you the keys to the store. And so OBJ is going to get done. And they're going to overpay whatever they have to do to get them. They're going to keep them. I think there's no doubt about that. And now whether they have a good enough team around them, whether they're going to be able to protect the passer, which they couldn't do as well last year, that remains to be seen. But Odell's going to get his money, and I think he realizes that, and he's got them. When Once the owner tells you that you're the most important player of the franchise, just sit back and rake it in. Yeah. There's there's no need to be concerned when the people that are dictating where the money goes tells you that you're going to be getting some of the money. I mean, do you see, do you see Odell Beckham being able to get... I mean, will he get a contract... Perfect example. So Tavon Austin, right? We saw him get uh, yeah. after his third year. He gets that forty-two million dollar deal, and everyone freaks out because that's so much money to give Tavon Austin. I mean, I think if it's someone too much money to give Tavon, if someone called OBJ and offered him forty-two million dollars, I mean, I think he would just laugh in their face and hang up. I mean, exactly. there's no, there's no telling how much money that OBJ is going to be offered from the Giants to keep him there, which I think is a just a storyline. The best word OG, OBJ has on his in his vocabulary is no. Yep. If he keeps saying no, the money's just going to keep going up. He's yep. negotiating. Once he he's not he's not negotiating against anybody but the Giants, and the Giants have already said they're going to do whatever it takes. So the best thing he can do is keep saying no, and use the threat of having them to do the franchise and all that stuff because they've already told him they're willing to do anything. So why not take advantage of it? You know, it's like look, you know, no is a good word for OJ, OBJ. He'll he'll get what he wants. Let's talk about another NFC East team. Your boy, the Wentz wagon, Carson Wentz with the Philadelphia oh, Eagles. Tate, I live in New Jersey in the summertime. <laughs> the Wentz wagon is huge. It's so big. I mean, down the down Asbury Avenue in Ocean City, the wagon just goes every day. Yeah. When I walk the dogs, I, I I'm going to count. There must be 700 Eagle flags flying here. It's unbelievable. Penn State and Eagle. I'm in the middle of it, Tate. It's unbelievable. I can't find a 76er flag. Oh. No one has one. I'm going to have to put one on the backyard here, but no one has it. Everybody has flags, but you can't find a Sixer one. Wait, so, wait until those draft day trades, and then they'll sign J.J. Redick in the offseason, and everyone will be back and on I'm the wagon. suicide. <laughs> if they sign J.J. Redick to $18 million, I'm going to, I will not be back in Los Angeles. I'm going to commit suicide. You're going to read my obituary. Fat, fat ex-general manager commits suicide on the beaches in Ocean City. Oh. There's no that's it. No, that's gonna I happen. Swear to you, you're the, gonna have to talk me off the ledge. The power, the power the of the Colangelos. They want JJ Redick. They're gonna bring him there for the good of Duke basketball. Uh, there, that's some shady deals going behind the scenes there. If uh, if he signs, but maybe maybe the you know maybe the Philly, you know the 76ers trade back and they draft Monk instead of paying JJ Redick 18 million. There's always well, hope, Lombardi. There's hope, and you know, and Wentz. I mean, look, everybody's excited about Wentz. Everybody's excited about Legarrette Blount back here. Yep. I saw Deuce Staley say they're going to get him more involved in the passing game, which I find really interesting because 
One came from the, one of the best organizations in football. You don't mm-hmm. think it, it occurred to Josh McDaniels, the <laughs> offensive coordinator, or to Bill Belichick that we're going to get LeGarrette Blunt involved in the passing game? Look, I walked around the practice all the time. I said, if we can just get Blunt to catch three passes a game with his size and space ability, he could be disruptive. The problem is it was hard to get LeGarrette into the protections. It was hard to get him to understand the protections. It was hard to get him to block the right guy, and the quarterback didn't trust him, so he couldn't yep. be on the field all the time. And so when I read that stuff, it just like it, it just it just it's remarkable. It's a little bit like Patterson's going to learn the offense in Minnesota. He didn't learn in Minnesota, but he's going to learn it in Los Angeles, in, in Oakland. And when you listen to you know them talk about Blunt, I think you know that comes like he's going to get involved in the passing game. Look, nobody wanted it more than I did. It just couldn't happen. But the Eagles, to me. It's funny when you look at and listen to the Wentz talk around here, and yeah. they wanted Jeremy Macklin, even though they admitted they didn't want Jeremy Macklin. Then there's a report out that they finished second on Jeremy Macklin. It, it, it really tells you that they're still not sold on their receiver situation. I mean, Torrey Smith, they gave him a one-year deal. I'm mm-hmm. not buying the Torrey Smith train. Alshon's got that big talking, deal, that one-year deal. He's got the big deal, but you know, he's he's a jump ball <laughs> receiver, and that's those guys don't get open on their own. You have to throw the ball up to him, and Wentz is not a really accurate thrower down the field. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an interesting team for Philly. I think the strength of the Eagles is their defense or defensive front. I think Schwartz will have that defense with enough depth up front. I think that will we'll give them the difference. And as their offense can grow, I still think they need a receiver. Did you see that uh, the Carson Wentz camp where he's having his camp? He's going to take his, you know, they they do like a little private workout where he takes special, you know, all these quarterbacks do that where they'll invite some receivers to go work out with them in special places. Mm-hmm. Did you see where Wentz wants to go for his? It's amazing. No, North Dakota. Yeah, Fargo, North Dakota. So, yeah. if you're a fan of There's Fargo, the show <laughs> or the movie, <laughs> Carson Wentz. <laughs> Could you imagine a bunch of NFL players in Fargo? I mean, after about one night, uh, there could be trouble. Oh, it could be trouble. And they, they've said it's locked in. It's supposed to be Carson Wentz. He's taken Alshon Jeffrey, Torrey Smith, Jordan Matthews, and uh, tight end Zach Ertz and Trey Burton. So, um, Trey, Trey Burton thought going to you know Bible study with Tim Tebow at Florida was bad. This, this is going to be a totally different thing for him going to Fargo, North Dakota with Carson Wentz. <laughs> I can't wait to hear the reports where Brady takes all those guys up to Montana and gets in the altitude. That'll be a good trip. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I don't know. I'm I'm buying into the Carson Wentz thing. As soon as I saw that all these guys would go to Fargo, North Dakota, with him, I it made me believe in the Eagles and uh, and what they're about. Um, a team I don't believe in, and a lot of people don't believe in. Gang Green, the New York Jets. There's been a lot of talk out there that the New York Jets are are tanking the season because of. You know the losses of so many proven veterans that you know makes everyone thinks about the Jets when you think of Nick Mangold, Revis, Marshall, Folk, David Harris, Decker. The list goes on. Uh, Matt Forte just came out and said, "Bring it." You know, to to anyone that says the Jets are tanking, he's basically saying that that's not the case and they're going to show it on the field. Um, Lombardi, we're we're not a. Uh, we we know I'm that not that's not the it. yeah not that's not the case yeah you may no, bring I mean, it but we're not buying it. Um, I mean it's overreaction by Jets fans. I mean Jesus God react if David Harris was so good, you, you know you know they wanted him to take a pay cut. Decker wasn't exactly you know lighting the world on fire. I mean those are guys that are name players. They're not great players any longer. And look, David Harris was a great leader in the locker room. I'm sure they'd still like to have him. But you know what? Off, it helps opportunity, and some of those guys stop progress. I think that's why Macklin got cut by Kansas City. He, they felt like he was stopping progress on some of the young receivers. Mm-hmm. Look, it, it's not how you start out in September. It's how you finish in December. Look, the Jets are better off because they finally admitted to themselves they need a youth movement. They finally admitted to themselves that 
that the older players that we're trying to play with couldn't do it anymore. I think admitting to yourself is the first step towards recovery. That is very true, and I, I hope that the Jets heed your advice, Lombardi. They they need something good up there to happen. There, there's been a lot of talk in the AFC East this offseason. I've seen the Miami Dolphins trying to throw some chatter back at the Patriots. Do you see that Indomitian Sue came out and said, yeah. The Dolphins have never been yeah. scared of the Patriots or or anything. They they may not be scared, but they do lose a lot. And uh, the Jets are obviously dealing with those, this whole tanking narrative. But the Buffalo Bills, I mean, there's some positive stuff going on up there. So there is hope I, in Buffalo. I think they're a team. I think Buffalo is a team. I think McDermott will do a good job as head coach. I think he's got some interesting pieces that he brought in there. Uh, and if, it all depends on Tyrod Taylor what he can do offensively. But I think the Bills are taking the right approach. Lay low, say nothing, yep. and see if you can, you know, see if you can prove it on the field. I think Miami's approach is always, you know, they think because they signed Lawrence Timmons, it's going to help them stop in the pass, help them stop the the Patriots in the passing game. I think we've seen that before when the Patriots play Pittsburgh. I think that the Bills, uh, Tyrod Taylor should take a group of receivers up to like Regina in Canada or something. <laughs> And, and see how that the altitude be, is up there. Maybe, maybe Saskatoon, we'll get, yeah, yeah, that would be bad. Saskatchewan, bad, yeah. yeah, something like that. Maybe it'll work out. Um, another big thing that happened in the NFL, um, There's there's been quite a few uh, news stories going on. Greg Robinson, the left tackle uh, out of yeah. Auburn, that a lot of people had a lot of faith in, a lot of promise in, uh, did not quite pan out. Probably was one of the worst left tackles in the league last year. Just ask Todd Gurley. Um, he gets traded for a six-round pick. Um, it was a good for the Rams to just finally cut ties with this guy and, and sort of just move on. I think Jamon Brown will be the guy that will now be the left tackle for them. Um, and, and do you see Greg Robinson maybe, maybe being able to figure it out with the new team? Uh, you know, I think change of scenery helps. I'm reading this book, The Cubs Way, and, and, and in the book, Epstein talks about to uh, you know, his assistant GM and to the other guys about trying to find guys that perhaps need to change the scenery. Mm-hmm. And and they looked all through the league, and they find guys that, that were good prospects that needed a change of scenery. Maybe this is the case with Greg Robinson, and I think it might be a good idea. Uh, he's, he needs some to go somewhere where uh, he's not viewed as, the, as, as a high pick. He's not viewed as the savior, and maybe he can go and learn his craft. I've seen it happen before. It happened with Lincoln Kennedy when he was with the Falcons. He came to the Raiders, was a much better player. There's a reason he was picked early. And there's got to be a reason why he's not playing well. I think that this is a smart trade for the Lions, and it's a smart trade for the Rams because the Rams a need cap room, b they weren't going to, they didn't pick up his option for the fifth year, and they get something for him now, and they can move forward. I mean, the Rams have to sign Aaron Donald to get he create some cap room. We talked about last week they're the worst cap team in the league and mm-hmm. they're the worst team in the league. That ain't a good combination. Not at all. So. For all those Rams fans out there, uh, don't blame Greg, don't blame Greg Robinson. Uh, there's a lot of things to figure out, but maybe maybe things will uh, get shifted. I, I I believe in the Rams being able to figure it out. Hopefully, maybe in five years, something like that. Um, <laughs> the Redskins, another team that we want to talk about. Oh, this is the one I've been waiting for, Tate. All day I've been waiting for this. It took you this long to talk about it. The Redskins. They've been talking about they're going to hire. Look, when people will understand, the Redskins have had a even when Scott McLuhan was there, the Redskins general manager was Bruce. Allen. Mm-hmm. Okay, Scott McLuhan had the title, but he didn't have the authority. There's one, there's two people making decisions in Washington. There's two people. It's Daniel Snyder and Bruce Allen. And yep. Snyder tells Bruce what he wants, and then Bruce tells everybody else. So, like, these whole front office changes in Washington, it's all just window dressing. The reality here for all the Redskin fans is Bruce Allen's your general manager. He's controlling the players. He's controlling the coaches. He's controlling everything. And I love how people move it. It's, it's one of the great lessons you can learn from Al Davis. It's a little bit like the Wizard of Oz where guys are behind you know, the wizard's yeah. behind the curtain. Nobody know who, knows where he is. Yeah, Dan yeah. Snyder's the, the, the man behind the curtain. 
And Bruce Allen, too. They're both behind there. And the reason Bruce has been able to keep – remember this now. Bruce Allen has kept his job over Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan's won Super Bowls. Bruce yeah. has never won a Super Bowl. You know, Mike Shanahan's a legitimate NFL head coach. He should have been – you know, the owner kept Bruce over him because the owner knows what Bruce will bring him. So <laughs> I, I'm enjoying it. I, I love how people thought they were going to interview all these people. The reality has been forever – and Scott McLuhan, if he would talk, but he can't talk because he wants to get his paychecks, yep. would tell you that Bruce ran the team all the way. My question, though, for Bruce and uh, for Dan Snyder is, Kirk Cousins, there's one month to the day of this day that he has. They have to figure out what they want to do with him. They can franchise him for $34.4 million, or they can sign him. I mean, that that's still outstanding. That whole Kirk Cousins storyline is still there, and the same guys are still... Like, What's the holdup on that decision? Well, the holdup is the fact that they keep they, they, they thought that they could bluff their way into it. Bruce thinks sometimes he's smarter than the agents, and the agents called his bluff every time. Yep. And they never really bought into Kirk Cousins that he was ever going to do it, and they thought that they were being cute. Now, all of a sudden, their cuteness is going to cost them a lot of money, and they're dealing with an agency, Priority Sports, Mark Bartlestein, Rick Smith, Mike McCarthy, those guys. They're not going to take a, 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 a deal less, and I don't think Kirk Cousins is going to take a deal for less. So this is the corner they backed themselves, Bruce backed himself into. And it has nothing to do with Jay Gruden, had nothing to do with Scott McLuhan. I mean, they just never felt like he was going to come through. Now it's going to cost them severe cash. Good thing Snyder has it. Kirk Cousins, for people that don't know, it's uh, he's right around right around forty four million that he's made over the past two years. So that's a good. That's called America. Yeah, it's, it's called America. It's called Ro- it's called Roger Goodell's salary. Um, yeah, so. I mean, look, he he basically he he called their bluff. And you know what? If he, if they didn't do it, he'd be the starting quarterback of the 49ers right now. Yeah. Wow. That is very true. Um, another just random Redskins thing that happened. D'Angelo Hall accepts a pay cut to stay with the Redskins. D'Angelo Hall has been playing football for as long as I can remember. It's unbelievable. And he went to safety. I would have never thought he would have ever gone to safety. I mean, he was a guy that Al Davis signed to a huge contract and then cut him in the middle of the season because he had an injury guarantee and he didn't want him to get hurt. And he's bounced back from it. I mean, it's good for D'Angelo to keep finding a way to play coming off the ACL that he had last year. It'll be interesting. The Redskins are going to be a fascinating team. They've lost some pieces in their skill. The skill, You know, Jordan Reed, whether he can stay healthy with the concussion problems that he's had. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be an interesting situation in Washington. But we know this for Redskin fans. Your team is run by Bruce Allen. Yeah, we we've learned a lot. I mean, I I uh, I really didn't know what was going on in Washington. I've been trying to figure out this Cousins things for quite some time. So I guess it's just a little power complex and a little power play between uh, Bruce Allen and uh, and the agents for Kirk, Kirk Cousins. So now now we know. The more you know is always good. Um, just a, always good. A couple couple little storylines that are still out there. Uh, Jeremy Macklin. Um, gets free crab cakes for life from Jimmy's Seafood in Baltimore. I hope he likes them. I hope he likes crab cakes. I mean, could you imagine getting free something of something you don't like? Could you, like it would be like me getting free salmon for the rest of my life. Like, yeah. what would I do with it? Like, yeah. I could only eat salmon. I mean, like, what would I do with it? I when I thought about this, I just remember uh, wasn't the Titans right? They offered Peyton Manning like free pancakes for life if he signed with the Titans in 2012. Yeah, I would have gone for that. Yeah, I know. Just imagine if he went to if he went for the pancakes, he wouldn't have won a super another Super Bowl. So <laughs> that's a it's a life lesson, no doubt, no doubt. Um, and then just one more thing, Sebastian Janikowski, a guy that uh, you were there when you saw him get drafted. Him, yeah, yeah, he's still in the NFL, and he says uh, he wants to play until they kick me out. No pun intended. Um, that's good news for everyone. He's just thirty nine years old. The first first round kicker to get taken by Al Davis and Lombardi was there to see it happen. So I just want to say, and Janikowski. We drafted Shane Leckler in the fifth, 
and we drafted Shane Leckler in the fifth round. We had the all-star kicking class of ever. Special teams. It was teams. amazing. Yeah. Special teams. It's all, look, all three phases. Kick, if a guy can kick as with the leg that he has, if he can continue, I mean, I don't see why he couldn't keep kicking because that leg's still powerful. I, uh, I'm a big fan of Janikowski, and I hope he sticks around and keeps kicking, keeps kicking, keeps it alive. And uh, Lombardi, is there anything else that you have uh, that you want to throw out there to the people? Because this has been a fun GM no, street. I'm going to go back to my NBA tapes and start keep watching tape and seeing if I can come up with something. I'm still waiting for Colangelo to call me for advice, but I don't think it's going to happen. I'd go ahead and put this down, JJ Redick. I think he's going to okay, be there. Thanks a lot. Uh, I'll be in the. I'll be. will be. You'll, you'll see. You'll hear the rescue planes flying overhead when I drowned in the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, JJ read it, and they're going to trade. Uh, who are they going to trade? Oh, maybe maybe they try to trade like Jalil Okafor, and they try to get Rodney Hood or something. It, it's they're they're going to make some trades. They're going to try to do some stuff. Brian Colangelo is so. not going to sit stagnant, and uh, it'll be fun. I'm pulling for you. I want the 76ers to be relevant. We need something in the East that'll be fun. Embiid. He needs he needs to breathe the big man back. The big man is dying, and Joel and B is just sitting there. It's time for the process. You bet. I'm ready. Cool. Well, that's been GM Street this week. Thanks, Lombardi. Thanks, Tate. 